Hey everyone, this is Dr. Oh My Coffee, and here's my story I am sharing on the Trep Life podcast. Let's stay connected. Follow me on social media, O-M-A-I-K-O-F-I, and that's Dr. Oh My Coffee on Instagram. I'm so excited, and I want to stay connected with you, and I hope my experiences inspire you, and remember dreams over doubt focus over frustration, progress over perfection, solutions over setback. My favorite is prevention instead of intervention. Stay updated by checking out new episodes of the most eclectic podcast in the world on Wednesdays and Sundays streaming on all podcast platforms. Hi. Hi. Look at you being all special. This is awesome. I love this app. I don't know why people don't use this app. This app is amazing. Yes. It's amazing. Gary V. I saw a video with Gary V. And he was the one who encouraged people to get on this app. He might own it or whatever. Yeah, I don't care why. Anchor. Yeah. Well, he's smart. And this is amazing. When we get off, I'm going to look to see if he has any uh, podcasts that he runs through Anchor. Yep. But... I'm so happy to have you on here. Um, I really appreciate you coming on because we had a fantastic conversation yesterday. <laughs> we did. And let me tell you, I my pre-discussion <laughs> conversations are usually about 15 to 20 minutes, maybe 30 mm-hmm. minutes. But we were talking for like, what, an hour, maybe 15 minutes, yeah. hour and a half, something like that? Yeah. Yep. And we could have kept going we, if we wanted to, but we, we had to save to, something yeah. for today. We left on a huge topic, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I'm going to kind of, we're going to try to kind of recreate the magic that we established yesterday. Um, okay. A little bit different, though. Have some different questions for you. And again, okay. like we did yesterday, feel free to ask me questions as well. You know, this is a, this is a dialogue, but we're just going to get right into it. So. You had the absolute best response and best approach for social media that I've ever heard in my life. And so (laughs) I need you to reiterate that today for the people for the podcast. Awesome. I sure will. Uh, And so I do want to say thank you. I want to say that I really appreciate you. I love what you're doing. I love the description of, of, you know, the entrepreneurship and the lifestyle, um, conversations that you have i did listen to your other podcasts i just want to say great job and to the audience great job for supporting this awesome platform so thank you for that uh but what i was saying about social media was number one social media is for you to utilize it as such right it's a social platform where you can share media content uh information a lot of people however use it for social therapy And because of that, the emotionalism, personal um, opinion, the uh, feelings and uh, 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 social emotion are displayed in a way that it can be depressing, it could be a turnoff, or it could just make you think differently about people that you didn't know. That's why most employers, before they hire you, or most uh, people that are contracting you to do work for them, they will check out your social media to to get to an understanding of your social um, re- relations. Yeah. And if they find that you're too if you use it for social therapy, typically that's a turnoff because they understand that it's used for social media. And so with media, the question would be, well, what is media, right? Media is content, 
What does it say at the end of every movie or every show? We do not always agree or express these views ourselves. Oh. We are just right. We don't. We may not agree with this broadcast. No animals were harmed, and like they start to they start to let you know. Hey, look. We don't agree with what Tyler Perry said. We don't agree with what Jerry Springer's doing. We are just showing the media content for you. So that's what it's there for. It's there for non-personal bias, whether you agree. If it's, it's something that is racism or it's something that's displaying sexism, they still are going to broadcast it as media because that's not their personal view. It's just a place to share content and media for other people and audiences to see and get their content and media. It is not a place for you to campaign or, you know, use it for your own personal opinions, although people do. And when you do do that, you're using that as social therapy because now you're asking for others to help you. And for one example that I saw today, and I blocked and deleted this girl off of my post, she put, my dad wants me to fail. That's what she said. And I was like, wow. And 80 people responded. I'm like, whoa. Then I saw a guy which got blocked and deleted today because he posted a picture, like five or six pictures of him getting admitted into the hospital. This man's trying what? to get well, and you're blocking. <laughs> anyway, no, yeah, you're laughing, but but it does something to your brain impression, and so it does something to you when you see stuff like that. And and so for me, I don't allow my household to act like that. I don't allow our household to have a bad day. I'm not going to go on my social media account and see your social therapy. I'm just not going to do it because I'm not your social therapist. So I don't want to see that kind of stuff. Now, had she had said. Hey, y'all, I remember a time in my life when nobody would support me. Here are some of the solutions that I utilized during those difficult times. I would have kept her as a friend. Right. Yep. If, you know, reformatting it. um, Yeah. Or, hey, I've been in and out of the hospital. Do you know of any other therapies or any, has anyone else encountered what I'm experiencing? Something. Exactly. But it was just, oh no! Same, we yeah, want the yeah, prayers. same post. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I can't do that because that's called social therapy, and so people um, are just using it for whatever. Like you know how people post pictures of their children. I'm like, oh lord. Do you know how many times that child's picture has been sold to a human trafficker? Sold, and then you have in the background proud mom of child that goes to X Y Z Academy. Here's my child's name. He's an A and B student at ABC Academy. That child is on the human trafficking list to be picked up. Is that serious and that crucial? And I hate to go dark, but I work in human trafficking. They use social media because they, they believe they know about social therapy. So if a woman is talking about issues with her father, she's easily susceptible to have a man in her life that will fulfill those roles that a father didn't. That guy will then trick her and then play with her and then sell her to, to Czechoslovakia. And that's... This really happens. But that's, and so that's, that's how what, that happens, though. It's not like you're just saying this. It's not it's, a movie. <laughs> no. This is reality. These movies so are based I'm, on I'm, real events. Real like, situations. Yeah. Yep. So that's my take on social media. And it's not bad or negative or anything like that. And sometimes you may want people to know, hey, I'm in the hospital. 
so y'all can leave me alone or I'm in the hospital. Hey, that means I can't pay my bills or whatever. I get it. But social media should be real, you know, real media content that you're sharing stories and you're telling people about solutions and you're, you know, engaging with people in a very unique way that uplift them. And I will say a lot of people are very uplifting on social media. I really will say that I've gotten a lot of laughs. I've gotten a lot of information. I've gotten a lot of woes and wows. And, you know, I've seen a lot of really good content out there as well. So there is a positivity to it all at the end of the day. You know, there's, yeah. that is the reason. Yeah. If it was always negative, people probably wouldn't participate mm-hmm. there, right? Yeah. No, Mm-mm. no, I don't think so. Not even in a miserable world, I don't think people would want to see all of that. I think it does have a lot of very positive connotations. I believe that a lot of the posts people need to see them. Um, I just think that when they use them as media versus social therapy, I just think that you get more out of your engagement and your audience. That's all. Okay, so back to your social media, you have kind of different uh, hashtags or themes. You're very organized and methodical about how you approach social media. So can you share some of those with us and the different concepts that you use? Yeah, so thanks for asking. So basically when it comes to social media, I like to tell stories, number one, just keep it clean and tell stories. I like to show uh, contrast. I like to show contrast. I like to show um, variation, and what I mean by that is when I talked about me being homeless and I talked about me being poor, broken, disgusted, I also showed where I went from riches to rags, and I gave that story, and then I showed how I was able to recover Uh, I showed spirituality in that. I was able to tell a story in a unique way that a lot of people hit me up in my inbox and they were thankful for my transparency. People agreed because they had been through it. It was just a great post for people to see more about me that just because uh, y'all see me doing well, don't think that it, it wasn't hard either. Here's my hard road, and this is what you see. So when you see me in a picture with Oprah and you see me in the picture with Mark Cuban and you see me in the picture with Nelly or whoever else you think is successful, keep in mind that not only have I gone through hard times, they also have gone through hard times, and most of them are really good about sharing those stories. So honestly, I just use that as a, a starting point is to tell a story. The other thing that I do is I make sure to ask questions right? A lot of people make statements, and that's cool. No problem. That's their way of of engaging their audience. No problem. I'd rather ask a rhetorical question. I'd rather ask a thought-provoking question. I'm very provocative in my question. For instance, on Saturday morning, on purpose, on Saturday morning at 9 a.m., I posted, why are churches full of poor people, right? Why are churches full of poor people? Seven words caused a storm on social media, and I hadn't even been on social media. I've been away from social media for two years. Did it hit a 1,000 comments yet? Yes. Yes, and the video got like 2,000-plus views and shared a few, like 50, 30 times. And I'm like, I just asked a seven-word question. Ha-ha, right? But that comes from my philosophical and psychological background and understanding that people really want to be engaged in a very direct way. And overstanding that when you do engage people in a direct way, you get a direct response. And what they don't, what people don't recognize is that social media is for, for data collection. That's the number one reason why there's a social platform at all is because they're collecting data. 
And because of them collecting data, they allow us to put our content out there to make it more genuine uh, user-friendly and make a user experience happen. So you are using this platform that's collecting your data and your information. They know your location. They know your face recognition. They know your passwords. They know how you think, click. They know how you act. They know what you like to listen to. They know your music, your movies. They know when you're breaking up. They know when you're in a relationship, right? They know all this stuff about you. So why are you yourself not using that same platform for the benefit of collecting data and information? So when I do post, I'm always posting a poll, if you will, or asking a question that will spark controversial conversation that's enlightening. And when I do see people getting a little messy or a little angry, I'll message them in private and say, hey, you know it's just a post, calm down, or hey, my background is in ministry, this is why I did this, so on and so forth. And then they calm down and come back and apologize. But the point is, is that my strategy is to tell stories. My strategy is to provoke critical thinking. That's what I use social media for. That doesn't mean that that's what everybody else has to do. But I'll say this. I think more people should use it the way you use it. Why, though? Absolutely. Why yeah. do you think that? Why I, do you feel that way? Okay. Personally? So, because I feel like that would be more effective in the overall quality of their lives. Because... Wow. Well, and, that, and it, it, it. it does depend on a person, Right. Everyone has their own. But no, you're absolutely right. I like what you said because it will affect the quality, the overall quality. quality. Right. Yeah. But, okay, so for an example, if someone, let's say someone doesn't necessarily feel like comfortable maybe sharing Mm -hmm. information, they're not at that stage in their lives yet where they're still on a discovery process. So maybe them asking questions would be a way Mm -hmm. for them to seek or them sharing what is going on with them in an emotional way, right? Would be, and you know, it's an outcry or it's them seeking a manifestation of them seeking answers from others. So maybe at that point they are trying open to where they're honestly just seeking information. And so, you know, at that point you kind of have to take, you know, their experience into account and kind of look at the person on an individual level, right? And kind of see where they're coming from. But, you know, in another context, um, people, you know, if you are a certain age, you've had certain experiences, or even if you just had certain experiences, it doesn't have to be tied to age, then you should be able to share information to the next person while still be able to absorb information by asking questions, thought-provoking questions. If, if you don't have an answer, at least you're always seeking to right. increase your understanding of the world. Or if you just have a curious nature, right? Yeah. That's good. So, I agree. But the social therapy all the time, the, you know, I, I think that causes even more issues because there's people who you're confiding in people in an open space and you just don't know how that information will be used. 
that's good. Yeah, so that's true. I, you don't. I caution people to be just careful really about don't. what you are doing on social media. And is it really helping you? You know, or, or because some people be, get a psychosis around if I'm not performing on social media, if everyone doesn't like my post, then you tie that into your sense of worthiness. And that's not, that's not healthy either at all. You know, so. No, it's not. Absolutely not. That's good. Good information. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I tried my best to make sure to stay away from, uh, like you were saying, stay away from low quality or lower level conversations or living or lifestyles or if I see somebody who's posting is coming up on my feed and they're posting just constant content about the same type of subjects and stuff you know trying to pull like there's a girl on there right now and she's just going hard in the paint against uh Africans from Africa and I'm like okay the first one I was like okay interesting you know and she did it again hey we are back in business We were delayed, but we are determined to do this. So very determined. Absolutely. So memory serves correctly. We just wrapped up our conversation on social media. And by the way, I actually had another uh episode that I did with the guest today and I referenced our conversation a little bit. So because it was that phenomenal. But so my question for you was or is rather how did your book come about? Brainwash into wealth came about because of consistent consistent um I want to say patterns and loops of poverty and when you keep someone in a certain kind of condition for a long period of time or they stay in that position a long period of time and they're maintaining that position or that condition rather it becomes a part of their brain waves and their brain patterns and what they emit and what they accept and so I just noticed a lot of our friends thought we were very wealthy in school we were on government assistance, but the way we carried ourselves still seemed like we were doing better than other people. When we were on Section 8, we had food stamps. We, you know, had a beat up old car. We were in a single parent household. But for whatever the reason, whatever people thought of us, they didn't think of us that way. They saw us differently. Right. Which lets me know you can emit off different signals and different frequencies and vibrations to people regardless of your condition however your mindset does develop from the environment that you come in come up in rather or even if you're an adult if you're in a certain kind of environment aka hostile work environment or an environment of growth and mentorship it does definitely tap into your brain waves and so brainwashed into wealth was an opportunity for me to learn arts of wealth through mentorship through research through development through figuring out patterns of poverty 
And I decided to help people out with tools that they can use so that they can get out of those poverty conditioning. So what was the process for you writing the book? Like, mm-hmm. how long did it take? Mm-hmm. How, how many iterations were involved? Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was two different revisions that I did because one of them was personal and the other one was for more of your general or business professional market. Okay. And, and then it took about, about I want to say about two weeks or so. Because, I mean, the information is, is in you and uh, it doesn't take that long, you know, to write a book unless you have, you know, tons of things going on or you don't have a cadence or you don't basically do it. And I think a lot of people get caught up in writing the perfect novel or the perfect book. And sometimes it's a matter of creating series and it's a series for me. So it was a little bit faster to write it because it's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. And so that's probably why it took a little bit shorter time period. And it's easier when you do a series because you know that whatever you didn't include in the first book, you can include in the second one. So it helps you to get the information and content out there uh, in a way that would be beneficial to your audience or readers as well as yourself and not hinder you from writing a book and saying, oh, well, it's going to take me a year. Well, the series, it could have been 10 versions of the series if you would have just gotten it in a series fashion versus trying to write just one catch-all be-all book. So that's the process and in, in the, the way that I took to write it out. Okay. And where's the book available? Well, right now you can go to, it's on pre-sale. Um, we haven't published it yet because when I publish it, it's coming out with the podcast, it's coming out with the platform, the training and coaching platform, Just Pay Me. And Just okay. Pay Me is actually the first chapter in the book. And that, that platform itself is being developed and that's where you can purchase the book. Of course, it'll be on Amazon and other things as well. But because we're waiting on the developers to develop the content for the actual platform, we didn't want to sell the book without it because you're going to need the book to go with the platform in order to get through the platform. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's like uh, the uh, curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep, yep, yep. So when are you, or have you not thought that far yet where you're thinking about when the second one's going to come out oh they're already compiled so it's going to be you're mm -hmm. done writing them okay yeah so it's 10 it's 10 chapters and it's 10 series so yeah they're already it's more like a library now i will say for the library that took a little bit longer i would say that probably took about two years to write the library um but each like it say for the platform, right? When people want to get coaching, well, what do you want to be coached on? If it's on financial literacy and the fact that you want to go ahead and get into worth, worth ethic, not work ethic, but worth ethic. If you want to get into your worth and your value, then just pay me is typically the hardest part that people have trouble asking for money. People have trouble asking for raises. People have trouble fundraising. They don't like asking other people for stuff. So I tried to break that first before we went into the other chapters but that so that's why it was the fastest as whereas the other ones took a little bit more research and development and more buy-in from others and and just different things so it took about two years in total to create the series the full-fledged series but the series is based off the chapters 
So what happens is when somebody wants coaching, they have to go through the series of coaching. I'm not going to coach you about um, series 10 if you didn't go through the just pay me because we've got to make sure your worth ethic is up before you start going through the entire series. Definitely. Mm-hmm. It's all building on each other. Exactly. Like a curriculum, like a program. And I, I like for people to graduate and say, okay, I got something out of that. So if they don't speak to me again, or they um, don't feel like they need to um, come back for extra coaching and just different areas of their lives, at least with that one program, it's solid. There's no way you can take that away from somebody. Once they've graduated from something, they've graduated. They have their certificate. You get a certificate. Um, Once you've graduated, you get a certificate. You're done. Uh, And if I don't speak to you again, you still got something that you can use for the rest of your life. So that's the way that it's uh, instructed, the way that it was constructed. And that's the way that I promoted it or am promoting it rather on the platform fashion versus just another book. Because to be honest with you, who really has time to sit there and read an entire book? Really, seriously. I do audio books and listen to audio books, which I'm working with a production company now to create the audio versions. And each um, chapter will be, you know, separate because I don't want people to think that they have to follow along in order. It's just that when I coach, I coach in order. But if you wanted to read it out of order, then read it out of order. Every chapter matters, right? And then if you want to listen to it, you can listen to it out of order because every chapter matters. It's just that when I get to coaching people direct one-on-one coaching, I'd rather them go in order that way because it's built upon each other, like you said. But when you're in taking information, people learn differently. Some people don't learn in a classroom style. Some people don't learn in in a group style. Some people learn you know, by trial and error. Some people learn by uh, auditory. Some people learn through activities. It just depends on, you know, some people learn through interaction. So different people's learning styles. And I think that as authors, we have to be very uh, enthralled with the fact that we have to be able to adapt to people's information intake because of all the stuff that's going on. People can't even really think past five minutes. Right. And they they literally can't think or they'll have a meltdown and it's overwhelming to think past the next five minutes or the next hour. Uh, People can't go into a week or a year of planning. They're they're just like literally corporations I've seen do it well because they have various divisions, departments, teams and such. But just regular everyday humans, I don't see them going past an hour of their day. You know what I mean? And then stuff is so much thing. So many things are happening within that hour that as authors, we have to be very careful about how they intake the information. So I just wrote it in a way that it could be a little bit more engaging if people can find the time. And then that's why I do agree with the whole audio version because they could be listening to it when they're in their car or any kind of free space where they're traveling. Uh, If they're going to the store, they're walking around the store, if they're in the gym. Um, I had to think like that as I was writing it. And so that's why I'd rather produce a platform rather than just a book project because I just feel like that would not be serving the audience and the readership very well. Absolutely. I love everything you just said. <laughs> I think I'm that's learning. how you have to think about it in a yeah. very interactive approach because that's the way the world is. Okay. Something else is always fighting for people's attention. So you have oh, yeah. to provide that value, but you also have to uh, construct the value in a way where it's mul- multiple approaches 
where it's just accept or I should say it's accessible and from various different approaches. Oh, absolutely. Which is why I love media because you can, yeah, you can use it for any kind of approach you need and you can still reach people and you can do it in a very unique way and very personable to them according to their own personal style. So you have a lovely voice. Are you going to be doing the audio as well? I thought about it. And it's funny that you say that because a lot of people, you don't, I don't hear myself. <laughs> I don't hear myself talking. And so it's just very interesting. And I appreciate you for that, by the way. And I've heard that a few times. So I know that it's not uh, people trying to fill my head or, you know, somebody has heard something. And so yeah. long story short, I really did think about it to make it more personable because when you're brainwashing And I don't mean brainwashing in the sense of taking your brain and putting information I want in there. I'm talking about cleaning your brain out. Like you're cleaning out your thoughts of poverty. When I say brainwashing to wealth, you are literally washing away old thoughts, um, you know, emotions that are outdated, theories that don't work, traditions that haven't benefited you. uh, The whole does money grow on trees question mark, the whole chicken or the egg question mark. You know, I'm there washing so at least you have a clean slate. I was actually going to entitle the project Clean Slate okay. because that's what I wanted. And I said, no, I don't have to title it Clean Slate. That's the outcome. Right. The point is to have a clean slate. And through brainwashing into wealth doesn't mean you're going to be rich overnight. Now, that could happen. Actually, I don't want to not speak that into it. Right. So let me take that back. Someone that out there happen. can claim it. Exactly. You can claim it, own it. It can actually happen. I mean, it does happen. You Go never manifest know. that for yourself. Play exactly. that lotto today. Invest right. in that one company today. You just you just don't know. So I'll, I'll say that, yes, it can happen overnight. But let's just say that it doesn't happen to happen overnight. That even though that it can and it's possible, you have to have a clean slate in order to get started. And I know our society doesn't do well with second chances. Our society doesn't do well with trust. Our society doesn't do well with forgiveness. And so because of that, uh, this opportunity with Brainwashed into Wealth and each of the series that come along with it is an opportunity to really clean out some things so you can really see what you have to work with. I, I, there's a gentleman that um, does a lot of rehab and um, re- restoration of homes and remodeling and construction and demolition and things like that. And before they start painting, they have to clean the house out. You have to. It doesn't make any sense to paint over dirt or to paint over things that aren't necessary, right? So you have to clean up before you get started. So a lot of people have never been wealthy themselves. They may have seen it or experienced it. And some people have, don't get me wrong. Some people have been wealthy like myself and lost it. I went from riches to rags, (laughs) you know, and so for me, it was like, and and gained it back and lost it and gained it back and things like that. And I have a partner, same things, his story is the same. And a lot of people that have had wealth have different stories about how they obtain their wealth and how they've lost and gained it. Or people have been in the trenches, uh, such as Tyler Perry, Holly Berry, and anybody, I mean, I have Steve Harvey. I mean, I don't know too many people, even Mark Cuban, who haven't had that down and out time or where they're having to beat the pavement or they had some some concerns or issues with their personal lives on their way to their career uh what's her name is haddish she also you know had to sleep tiffany haddish yeah tiffany haddish yeah so the whole thing is that she just catapulted to right yeah exactly so everybody has a different trend but the key is that 
out of that system of abundance is possible for everybody. So everybody's story is unique and different, but they all had to clean something out. All of them. There's some day that they had to clean a slate. Uh, they had to forgive. They had to forget. They had to get into their truth. They had to come to some kind of acceptance or recognition or something in order to be able to move forward because sleeping in your car and then going on stage and, and doing a whole comedy show for an hour is difficult. There has to be some kind of mental uh, stamina and mental capacity updates that have to go on in your brain in order for you to go on that stage or whatever it is that you're doing. And so with that being stated, I feel like cleaning a wound, right, is the best way to do before you commit to surgery or patching it up. You got to clean it first. So that's the whole concept behind brainwashing, wash that brain, wash that thought, those theories, and then apply wealth and abundance, which is very natural to you. But if it's not clean and it's dirty, how do you know? How do you know what's really behind uh, this privilege of what we what we call wealth? And I believe that wealth comes for everyone. I think it's available for everybody. I just believe that sometimes along the way, people just aren't adapted to those resources and stuff that's available to them. And a lot of people are even oppressed not to even get them, right? And some people just are hindered from receiving their uh, wealth mentality and their wealth journey. And so with that, this is an opportunity for people to kind of identify, self-identify, and then be able to use some of the tools and information that, that I've been able to accomplish and that other people have told me about their stories and compile those together to get a clean slate, <laughs> which was the original uh, title of this project. So did you, were you inspired from coaching to write this or was it actually like, or was it the reverse? Well, I think it was both. Cause I've always been a mentor, like my whole okay. life. There's a thing called peer assistance leadership. And mm -hmm. I started that in sixth grade and I've been a peer assistance leader since sixth grade. So you're talking about 11 years old all the way to now I'm 40. And that's all I've ever done is mentor and advise and be a medium and a mentor, uh, an advisor, a board member, you know, some kind of, I've always been in a leadership role. And uh, even before I got into peer assistance leadership in school, in grade school, middle school, um, I was always looked upon, my sister even calls me now her little big sister. So I just kind of naturally was that way. Uh, I don't know if it was birthing timing. I'm not for sure exactly why, if it's because of my, you know, astrological side, I'm not for sure. But the key is that I've always been in leadership. And so it did come from that. But the best thing I've learned about being a leader is to be a learner and having to have other mentors and know having something to sound off on. So right now in our society, a friend of mine, the other day he was asked, my client, Brother Ben X, had asked uh, my partner, Corey Hughes, had said, um, hey, what would you tell millennials what would you tell them now when they say they don't really need mentorship? And even Mark Cuban is just totally against having a mentor. And um, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. Um, I don't know. Anyway, I said that to say that one of my mentors, Tony B. Stevens always says, is there a shortcut to life? And most people will say, no, there's no shortcuts in life, right? We're taught that there are no shortcuts. You got to go through what you go through. And he says, actually, there is a shortcut and it's called mentorship. 
And I actually agree with that because after having been a mentor, I know that if I hadn't been able to speak and partake in people's lives, that they wouldn't have accelerated at the rate or the level that they did without the mentorship and that sounding board. And when Corey Hughes was asked by Brother Ben X about the millennials today, what would you tell them if they can just go on the Internet, you know, Google University, they can go on the Internet and get anything they want. So they may not value a one-on-one coach or mentor today. And Corey was like, yeah, but who's going to test your paper? Who's going to test your work? Who are you going to test your paperwork with? Those people on the internet are not always available, right? You're not going to always get a hold of Gary V or um, you're not going to always be able to get a hold of that leader because their schedules are compiled and they're pretty much already set. So when you can't talk to them, who are you going to train yourself against? You took the test and who's going to grade the paper? And so a coach and a mentor is there to grade you, right? Michael Jordan had Phil Jackson grading his natural talent. That's astronomical talent. But when you have somebody there to coach you and grade you now, before Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan didn't have any NBA championships. And so now, yeah, the greatest player that ever was, that ever is, has a coach to help grade him and check him on some things and help, you know, align himself with some things and so I believe that through the mentorship and the leadership that I had yes I used that but then also I also had to get mentorship and leadership because who's a leader to the leader and a pastor to the pastor and a teacher to the teacher you know what I'm saying who's a comforter to the comforter you know and so there has to be some kind of level above you or or at least partnering with you in your life so that you can advance at a level optimal you know, a maximal level according to your own pattern or journey, you know? And so I do believe in both sides. I believe that you should mentor people and I believe that you should also be able to be mentored. And so that way you get both sides and you become more well-rounded. I agree with that because I absolutely can see, I I haven't really say personally, I can't say I've had a mentor, Mm -hmm. but I've seen other people have mentors and speak on mentorship and mm-hmm. it's absolutely been an accelerant for their life. Mm, yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. I I think someone telling you, Hey, this is what I experienced. And if mm-hmm. you can relate to that or yeah, I took this way. So like, you know, when you're evaluating circ your opportunities, you think to yourself, okay, this scenario could work, this scenario could work, this scenario could work, but you Mm -hmm. have a mentor who can rule out maybe at least one scenario for you. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. That that helps so much right there, you know. Alone, yeah, and having somebody that really supports you for you and wants to see better in you and wants more for you than they want for themselves in that relationship. That is what I believe the value of mentorship is, is that somebody wants more for me. So for me as a parent, my son is uh, 18 now or else I wouldn't be talking about him. I don't understand why people talk about their kids when they're not available to fend for themselves. But anyway, my son is 18 now and it's, it's nothing like the benefit that he has a 748 credit score. He has credit cards. He has a, you know, a $50,000 a year job. He has a career. He's also going to go into his own business. He's learning a trade. 
uh, he's still in high school because he decided to do homeschool one year and didn't want to transfer the credit so he could, you know, still play basketball and sports and things like that. But I said that to say that through mentorship and having me, uh, I naturally want him to do better than me. I naturally want him to maintain better than me. I naturally want him to learn from any mistakes and lessons that I've learned. And I don't think they're mistakes. I really believe that they really are lessons. And I think that they are actually advantage points. I don't think that they're mistakes as much as I believe that they are advantage points. And I love to prove to him my advantage points. And now he's in the position at 18 years old that, of course, I didn't have because I didn't have the financial literacy uh, education. They don't teach us that in school. That's not being taught necessarily in college. That's not being taught in households or even in some mentorship relationships. It's just not being taught. A lot of people use mentorship for personal reasons. And if we could transfer or add both and add in the leadership on the financial tip, that's what we really need. Yeah. So he's in a position like he was really bothered today that he had to use his credit card. Really? All these years and all this money and all this advancement and the fact that you've been an authorized user on my credit card since you were 12 years old and you had to go get gas and use your credit card today and you got a problem. But that's good. You know, he's supposed to feel that way. He's supposed to be like, Mom, I don't want to I don't want to, you know, hurt my good scores and my good chances mm, I don't want right. to ruin my good opportunities but I'm like yeah you better go get that gas and so but I said that to say that having a mentor not only elevates you and catapults you unselfishly and they want to see you do better for yourself and they want to see you do better than them not only do they want that for you by yourself selflessly you also get the opportunity to want it for yourself as well. So now you've got double, right? You've got yourself wanting more for yourself and then you got somebody else wanting more for you as well. That's what I think the value of mentorship is personally. And I believe that on a professional level and a financial level, that's why I agree to be mentors to certain people, right? You have to have drive and determination. I'm not going to just mentor people because they want to be mentored. I'm like recruiting too, because I need to, even though I want you to do better for yourself and it's selfless for me to help you, I want to know that I'm helping somebody who's going to take this uh, opportunity and give it to somebody else. And then I think it's always good to have uh, talent and diversity around you. So mm-hmm. someone with a skill set different than my own, maybe coming from a different generation that can help me, you know, brainstorm from time to time. So mm-hmm. I think that just makes all of us better. Oh, absolutely. Great point. Absolutely. And then the the one other point I want to make about mentorship that I think people kind of struggle with is I think sometimes people use mentorship as an excuse, like, or the lack thereof. So mm-hmm. Like a lot of times you hear when it's time to start your business, who's your mentor? Mm-hmm. And then if you say no one, people automatically write you off, <laughs> you know, like, oh, you, you don't have a mentor. You can't do anything. And my my angle to that is you should be open to mentorship. But if it's if it's not there for whatever reason still pursue what you're pursuing don't wait on anyone for you to start what you need to start if have a learning mentality apply what you've learned 
grow in your craft. And then, you know, when you're ready, maybe different opportunities will present itself. A mint, the right mentor will come along for you at the right time. But, well, that's kind of what Mark Cuban was basing his, um, his conversation off and his statements and his own personal projection was exactly what you just said like don't 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 try to use that as an excuse you know what i mean because that's a cop-out i think yeah it's a cop-out that's exactly what it is and then you can get codependent quicker right because you have a mentor and so every decision you got to call your mentor it's like no that is not what that relationship is for not at all like you know the mentor is to or you know I, i kind of related to people who are dating coaches almost like you're not going to you can listen to a dating coach and get advice but mm-hmm. you're not going to be on a date calling your dating coach up like mm-hmm. hey this is happening i'm giving you the play by play what should i do now like mm-hmm. that would be ineffective coaching without yeah. a doubt that's enabling yeah like you're missing the whole point if that's what you think you should be doing so Exactly. I agree. And so, um, you know, you were kind of, you alluded to your journey, um, your background, like even in elementary school. So starting, Mm -hmm. so kind of take us through your life, your early. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's the humble beginning story. Uh, Our family just for a little background people always ask who does she think she is you know what I'm saying? it's like self-awareness was beaten to me and my sister we had to be aware of everything all the time from yeah. very early ages I mean I'm talking about like three years old and growing up our our entire platform of growth was awareness and it's so funny when I first met and encountered Oprah Winfrey I've never seen somebody so self-aware and that was in what 2018 if I'm not mistaken uh, yeah, 2018, April 2018. And so um, I was like, wow, she's like super duper aware of herself. Like she's very, very comfortable with herself. Not to mean that she doesn't want to be uncomfortable. I notice a lot of people that have it all, if you will, or seemingly have it all. They want to be uncomfortable. They want more. They want to take risk. But but as far as awareness component goes, she was so super self-aware. And I was just so happy to witness that myself firsthand. And it even helped me with my own awareness. I didn't realize, R-E-A-L-E-Y-E-S, how aware I was as well. And so long story short, uh, that started very young, you know, so my journey, I want to start there because I, I can recall that my sister and myself, even to this day, were extremely self-aware. And through that, that helped navigate through a lot of situations, whether they were, you know, trying or challenging or they were, you know, blessed and abundant and, and just joyful, being aware and being able to capture and be in the moments, each moment that you have as much as you can be is how you're able to benefit from life. So even if it's a situation like when I was around, I'm going to say about 28 or so, maybe a little bit older. I may have been 30 at this time, but my, um, I got arrested and I got arrested because I was doing a marketing and promotional campaign. I was the campaign manager. And so I was the one that had all the, the tools, uh, all the promotional materials and things in my vehicle. And it was a stupid, young, dumb mistake, but it was just a quick run. So I was leaving the 
hotel. I was in another state. I was leaving the hotel and I had a a huge uh, Rottweiler guard dog. My son was probably about eight years old at the time. And I ran outside to run up the street, left him in the hotel to run up the street to drop off the things to the employees and come right back. I didn't even take my driver's license. I didn't take my ID. I didn't take anything because it was just like, hey, take this stuff out and then come right back. Well, between that time, it was like they were doing the check room check. And so the maid service came in and they saw that my son was there by himself. And because of human trafficking and drugs and everything in Florida, that's where I was. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. Because of all of that, which I was just so super naive. I was like, I didn't leave. Technically, I literally went around the corner and came back. And by that time, you guys had figured out that he because they called in to do, hey, are you checking out? Hey, whatever. He kept answering the phone. And he was laughing and answered the phone. So they figured, oh, God, someone left a kid in here. So they did the right thing, right? Because they're supposed to be protective of, of the child's interest or whatever. So I get back and there's a cop there. And not only did they take my son and take him to CPS, they put me in jail for the night. And I'm like, what? Child neglect. And so that's what they said the charges were, why he was booking me or whatnot. So I'm in jail just really having this very difficult time. My whole life is like flashing before my eyes. I don't know where my child is at. I'm in a whole nother state away from home. I lived in Atlanta at the time. I'm making a ton of money. I'm the marketing manager for a major campaign and I'm in jail. And so during that time, I had to think about everything I had with me in that moment. You're in jail. You don't have anything, right? Because they strip you of whatever belongings you came in there with and give you other belongings that they provide to you. And so I'm in there thinking about what do I have? What can I do? I can't be thinking about anything negative at this time. And so I'm pulling from Bible scriptures. I'm pulling from just different, you know, feelings and emotions. And I'm like becoming powerful and magical because I'm starting to get really aware this is not my story. This is not going to happen. This just ain't going to work for me, right? I disagree with all of this. This is not going to happen. And so long story short, I just started getting really, really magical. Like I was talking about mirror. I mean, I'm talking about when you say miracles, I'm over there speaking into my own life as hard as I can. I can't talk to anybody. I'm in another state. My family's in Texas. I live in Atlanta. This is a very difficult situation to be in. So I'm having to pull from every single ounce of every part of my being to make sure that I just make it through to even see the judge get to get arraigned. The judge is not available. So because the judge is not available, they sent the um, case to a county outside. So we're talking to a judge on a TV screen because that judge is not in that county. And the judge that was in that county was not available. So we're on the TV screen speaking to a judge. There's about, I want to say about 100 people in a courtroom. Everybody's going through their case. And then they come to me and they come to me and the judge starts speaking and i don't know to this hour who this lady was i don't know what her name was i don't know what she looked like because i'm looking at a tv screen to look at the judge but you can't see the you know the courtroom or anything like that and so i hear uh judge i have a problem with this case and as soon as i heard that i was like i'm getting out of here this is going to be a, we're, i'm going to be fine like i'm like there's my magical moment I don't know who that is. I don't know why they said that. I don't know what that was, but I'm getting excited. I'm smiling. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm standing there ready to go. I'm ready to get out of there. As soon as I heard that woman say, I have a problem with this case. I don't know who she was. I know she was the prosecuting. She was not the defending attorney. She was the prosecuting attorney. And I remember that part. And I remember her saying, I have a problem with this case. 
she get, went, you know, fought for me and was like, hey, look, I'm not trying this case, judge. I'm not touching this with the 10 foot pole. This woman uh, literally had all her belongings, her ID. She had a professional guard dog in the room. Yes, her child was eight, but there are no laws that say that you can't leave your child alone at certain ages while that was risky or I forgot what she said. That wasn't proper parenting. It is not against the law. Uh, they took her dog. They took her son. They took her to jail. They, she was like, I just have a, a total problem with this case. The room was stockpiled with food. Uh, her driver's license, her student ID, her check, her checkbook, her money was there. And she was like, this is not, I'm not touching this case. And you need to let that woman go. That judge looked straight into that camera and said, please get her out of there. And as soon as I left up out of there, I went looking for my child. And this is state the state of Florida. There's no telling where your child is at. Somehow I was able to muster up the energy to find out where my baby was. Uh, I argued for him. I had to fight for him. And within four days, I had him back. But they had already put my baby up for adoption. Do you hear me? Not Adoption? Uh, yeah, not foster care. Adoption. He was out of there. Matter of fact, the family that they put him with, they were going on a trip out of the country and they were, they had already bought his ticket. That was their child. I'm like, in four days? I was like, this is crazy. So that's wild. But that was the most trying. I remember my son was two years old and he drowned. I was two years old when I drowned and God brought us back to life. And I remember that. I remember my child drowning and this was worse because had my child had passed away, he would have passed away from a a life-threatening incident. This is my child being put up for adoption and filtered throughout the CPS foster care system or whatever it was. I don't know what they were thinking. And this is me having had control that could have been something different. And I had to live with that. And I would have had to live with that. And that was more difficult than my baby drowning at two years old because I would have had to live with my own, what I call lesson. And I would have had to deal with that. And that would have been harder for me than him passing away when he drowned. And, and that's what I had to get to the reality of. That was the hardest time of my entire life and any challenge that I've ever had. Me drowning, him drowning, cousin passing away, aunt, favorite auntie passing away, father passing away. That was the hardest thing that I ever had to go through to this day. And so that that part of my journey and I was super religious, super religious, had just graduated from being uh, uh, from the Potter's Institute and the Acts to Evangelism program, had just started ministry, things like that. And I was so super religious that I wasn't thinking straight. And instead of me fighting for my child, oh, God will do it. Oh, faith. You know, I got faith and all this other stuff and quoting scriptures and all that. That was the worst thing I could have done. And I was so religious and so um, speaking scriptures that I wasn't thinking straight. And I could have done more and I could have really sued them. There's so many things that I could have done in that that moment because what they did was just illegal, actually. It really sounds like they were like human trafficking. Yeah. You were oh, the, a kid, but they were accusing you or suspecting you. Using me you. acting like I was the one doing it. <laughs> right. I'm like, how did how was a kid up for adoption in like four days? Like, yeah, what are did... y'all going through? And so <laughs> And then how did y'all have the passports and everything ready to leave the country or I mean, I'm talking about my baby was out of here. You hear me? And so <laughs> thank God because the woman 
the woman that had him and thank God I don't I don't even know her name to be honest with you because it's illegal she was actually calling me every night and let me talk to my son the whole time and you're not supposed to do that and she was doing that for me so that was another sign um, that let me know everything was going to be fine but anyway needless to say that was the most difficult time of my life and a pivotal moment for me as a person that was back in 2009 and after that opportunity um, my entire brain patterns change everything I did was different the way that I thought the way that I spoke how I related to people uh, how I raised my child everything if you talk about growing up I grew up so I say that that was the part of my journey that I like to start with based off of my awareness and then getting to that moment and getting even more aware of who I was, our, our powers of bringing down and calling forth miracles, our powers of perception, our powers of communication or non-communication, because I didn't say anything. I never had an opportunity to speak in the courtroom. Whoever that angel was, she's the one who did that for me. And I got out of there within that moment. Like, it wasn't like they were like, oh, go back to your cell or you got to wait. No, I'm talking about from the court. Yeah, you didn't have to go through processing. No, there was no processing. It was literally me walking out of that courtroom and going out of there. No paperwork, no nothing, no go get your materials and all what you came in here with. It was get up out of here, like literally let her go. And so it was just a very strange situation. But I say that to say that our journeys, when you talk about journeys, for me, don't talk about stardom and meeting Oprah and dealing with Mark Cubans and, you know, dealing with Will Smith and all this name dropping and the fact that, you know, you're a multimillionaire and all that without remembering <laughs> that it didn't have to be that way for you. Remembering the humility. When you talk about shame and humility and guilt, um, remember that. Tell that story. Because I could tell everybody how I made, you know, six figures before and lost it and then came back and made seven figures and and ran multi-million dollar companies and all that all I want to. I can say all that all I want to. But if you don't get that I literally lost my entire existence through this story or any story that I have to tell and you don't get that part, why would I benefit you with my millions of dollars and my billion dollar contacts? Why would I talk to you about that kind of stuff when you need to understand that I may not have even made it? I could have committed suicide right then and there and thought about it. I didn't think about suicide, but I thought about what's the point of me living? I didn't have two children at that time. I just, that was it. That's all I had. And I was not in my own territory. I had nothing to fight with. And so with that being stated, why would I brag about all this other stuff and tell all these bodacious stories and, and these grandiose situations that I've been in and not remember the time that my whole life changed for me. And it wasn't always, it wasn't the entire today it's positive, but back then that wasn't a positive situation at all. Right. And yeah. So if it was to end in that moment, you know, it was, or it, it was a wrap. sideways on you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's my journey from then to now. And just from then, you know, stayed in the industry, kept my, you know, I still got, you know, had my job. I came back, you know, I came back from that with a vengeance. And my son and I wrote a book called Dear Son after that. We got much closer. Not that we were, I mean, we were super close already, but got much closer. He went and spent time with my sister and they got really close and she helped me out and stepped in. My whole family really stepped in to help out and uh, prayer does work. Don't get me wrong. Spirituality definitely helped me through that process. Without my spiritual background, there's no way I would have mentally made it through that process. So spirituality does work. Um, 
but you know religion can hinder you as well so i i really stray away from religion i do agree with cadence and you know having a practice and rituals and things like that but um not being so super religious that you don't take care of your children there's a couple that got sued and went to jail because they tried to pray over their baby to get well instead of just taking the baby to the hospital that's what i mean by religion right but spirituality is exactly what was utilized and that was a that was very divine what happened um because there was some real hardcore elements that i don't even know if i was ready to fight on a human level that were coming up against me during that period of time and that is actually what got me into human trafficking and now you know we've rescued girls and we've you know i've written books and you know just different things like that that i've created programs i've worked with other nonprofits. um it's it's been a very great journey because of that moment and and saw how how thick and how uh, dark human trafficking is and was never aware until that moment and then um, met a man who was in the CIA or worked closely excuse me with the CIA rather and Dr. Gabriel um, and he and I uh, got together he had a book project and I kind of helped him with that first book project and then we went on to write one together and we went on to do and, and make some moves together in human trafficking. So, and that's what we talk about every day because the, though that situation right there was the prime way that children get caught up in that system is through our child protective services and foster care systems that that's where a huge majority of our children are being trafficked out of those systems. So wake up call, you know, don't leave your child in a hotel. <laughs> Even if you're going around the corner, take them with you. Um, but other than that, it really taught me a lot of things. So, but it, it has been a wealth moment for me and a wealth moment for my son. And he remembers that he had a great time. Oh, he loved that family. They were very wealthy. These people, they were very wealthy. So he had him a ball, you know, but he did know something was wrong. And he did know that that wasn't what he wanted for his life at eight years old he knew he wanted to be with his mother and it was when the judge spoke to him the only way that I got up out of it so there was the criminal case that's how I got out of jail that was the criminal but then there was a civil lawsuit against me as well and that civil judge she didn't want to do anything until she spoke with my baby she took him she got out of the courtroom she took my baby in some far back room and she talked to him I don't know what he said to her but within seconds my baby was released to me and the case was dropped. And I still to this day don't know what he said. And I never asked him and I don't care. All I know is whatever he told her when they went back there by themselves, whatever he said to her, he was in my arms within seconds and they dropped the case. So those are the stories that help people understand why when I, when I'm wealthy and I'm driving my Bentley and I'm running around here in my mansions and I'm, I'm over here and you see me with celebrities or working or whatever, leave me alone. Okay. <laughs> leave me to my riches and my wealth. Cause I pay for it handsomely. Okay. Absolutely. Like one of the interesting things that you were saying, well, the whole story was fascinating. Mm -hmm. But what resonated with me was when you were talking about, like, how people don't always go back and relate to those moments that shaped you or how it could have gone differently for you. Mm -hmm. things. And, you know, sometimes I, I kind of like suffer from that. Like when I've had my moments of success where I'm, I look around and I see 
I've worked with a lot of talented people that just aren't here anymore or have just given up and they faded. And I'm like, I'm still here. I'm still in the game, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, some people who are even more talented than I am, you know, more talented than I even think of being right. Mm-hmm. But you're still here. I, I struggle with that survivor's remorse sometimes, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's also a part of the journey. And for a long time, I was um, guilty about being uh, what people would call wealthy or or uh, blessed or favored or however. I, I felt a little like, well, everybody should. And so I would always share my stuff with people. And uh, now I'm at the level where I, real, I realize, again, R-E-A-L-E-Y-E-S, I don't have to. I don't, I'm good. You know, I've paid my dues. I'm 40 years. I'm 40 from 80. These next 40 years of my life are for me. And that's no offense to anybody else. And if you do get offended, that's your problem. Because I gave 40 years of my life and I, and I meant it and I intended to. And I, and I feel like um, it was my mission and my purpose and I've served it. But these next 40 years are all mine. And, I, and I'm not, I'm unapologetic about it. I'm not going to back down from it. A lot of people think I'm strict. A lot of people are like, you're so hard. And it's like, nah, I'm done. I talk about the power of done. I'm done. There's a difference. I'm not being strict and I'm not being hard. I'm not being closed off and I'm not being selfish. I'm literally done. And so that should be celebrated, but it's not. Because people see you doing well and they wonder why they're not doing well and they want you to help them do well and when you don't help them do well somehow they blame you for doing well and it's like whoa you should be celebrating that for me and you'll see that that'll open up doors for you just through celebration alone right but people just don't get it and it's like you don't listen you weren't in that hotel you weren't in that jail cell you weren't dealing with half the things I dealt with and I couldn't tell my whole life story on this one interview but you have no idea what it took for me to get here. And so there's no way for you to tell me what I should do with the things that God has blessed me with for you. And it's like people really do this and they have this expectation of saviorship and they think that someone else is going to have to save them. And that's what we were talking about the other day when I was telling you, I believe in prevention versus intervention. Because if I've got to intervene constantly and there's some things like wealth, I believe, Uh, in minority communities that we do need to intervene on the wealth tip. I do. But for other, other things, uh, no, we need prevention. And through those preventative measures, people will not continue to get themselves in these situations. The world is funded by human error. The world is funded by human error. That's how the world is making so much money through people's mistakes, through people's lessons, through people's failure. To be poor is very expensive. It's very expensive to be poor. And an example of that um, that I do talk about in Brainwashed into Wealth is police, police poor people, but protect wealthy people. And so if a poor person doesn't pay a bill, they get hit with what? Uh, if you can't pay your bills, you get hit with a late fee. If you don't pay the bill and you get hit with the late fee, then they do a disconnect fee because they turn your stuff off or they, whatever it is, they close the program. 
to get hit with uh, uh, maybe a fine or something. And it's like, dang, because I live just for being poor, where wealthy people on their name alone don't have to pay for anything. Yeah. So that should stuff, tell you right? right there that the system is just really designed against poverty and poverty is very expensive. And so even poverty, when it comes to your health, right, if you can't afford proper food and proper nutrition, you pay for that through your health. And that gets expensive because you don't have proper health care. And then you're only using certain type of uh, assistance on health care. So you're really draining the system. Poverty is extremely expensive. And that's why I talk. um, I'm anti-poverty because it's it's expensive. It costs us too much money. It costs everybody too much money, the taxpayers, the wealthy, uh, and even the person themselves. It costs too much to be poor. And so with that being stated, um, that that is exactly why I feel like people need a clean slate, because I don't say that everybody needs to be rich and everybody doesn't have to be wealthy. But one thing people don't need to be is poor. Yes. I, I think the paycheck from paycheck mentality or circumstance needs to end oh yeah with a vengeance uh all these wars on drugs and wars on this and wars on that uh there needs to be an overall war on um systems of poverty and debt but we live in a debt-based society Uh, i get all of that but there are ways out as well and i just want to me myself and other people that i know um that, that definitely talk about these subjects and people who teach financial literacy, financial education, um, they, we all agree that living paycheck to paycheck is killing you. We all agree that working 80 hours a week, and if you don't, you get fired, is killing you. We all agree that if you're not able to show up to work because you've got a sick child or you have a personal situation, a personal matter, um, and you, because you're doing that, you get fired is, is that's life threatening and it's very, very stressful. So it's not just paycheck to paycheck. It's also all the other elements that come with that. And Absolutely. it's constantly being in a hurricane or a tsunami. It's constantly being in an earthquake is what is the same exact effect. And so because of that, like paycheck to paycheck is just one of our worries because at least paycheck to paycheck, you're sustaining what you can and you're not necessarily negative paycheck to paycheck. But what happens when you don't go to work or what happens when you miss that one paycheck or or something happens with the bank account or whatever? Now you're in debt and you're poor, <laughs> you know, and so you're right. Yeah. It's, it's threatening. It's a compounding effect. Yep. It's threatening. Yep. But everybody, you know, doesn't have to be, again, rich or wealthy. Right. I just want to make sure that people have the education tools and resources that they don't have to be poor. And it is a lot to do with um, mental health, emotional health, behavioral health, and so many other elements come into play when you're dealing with um, finances and economics. Generational cycles. Yep. Generational DNA, you know, like you said, relating those genetics, it could come from parents, you know, parenting environments. I mean, so many elements that go in with it. So it's never to shame or point the finger or to tell people hurry up and be rich or hurry up and get out of poverty or whatnot. It's more over to show the effects of it and to start to create solutions centered around those effects that they can be changed. They can grow. They can be developed. And we can move away from it <laughs> and annihilate it all together if we want to. That's what we need to do. 
So I'm all in with you on that topic. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's do it. Whatever little information I have, I'm willing to share. And yes. let's get out of this poverty. Well, that's what you're doing with this show. That's what you're doing now. That's what you've been doing. That's the point, right? That's the point. That has to go. We have to mm-hmm. cut that out. We have to. Yep, more than anything. And there's so many tools and resources that we can use, such as just having really good relationships. To me, that starts your point of wealth. Having real estate, even if it's a shack or a parking lot or a grave site, that starts your wealth. Anything that gets you away from systemic um, systems of, uh, like you were saying, paycheck to paycheck, Anything that gets you away from that, to me, starts your wealth pattern. And for for what has happened, it's been through relationship for oh my, that might not be the same for everyone. But because of my relationships, that's how I've been able to really make it through a lot of my life, whether it be the best times of my life or like I just told everybody, the, the absolute worst moment of my life. Um, I appreciate you, know. you for sharing that story on the podcast. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, when Great. you're over it, or not over it, let me say it this way. When it's still matured, devastating, you know. Yeah, it's extremely it's devastating. I hate talking about it, but, you know, a lot of times I challenge myself to challenge myself. That's the only way you're going to grow. And mm-hmm. As you said, you're always learning mm-hmm. mentality, so. Oh, yeah. So, but yeah, this was great. I'm so happy we finally connected. You know what's funny? The whole conversation has changed and it, it kind of grew into what it is now. And this was the was the conversation, I believe, that was for the for the time, for the season. And that's probably why we had to do it this way, if that makes sense. Because before yes. we were talking about other things, but this we has were. been. Yeah. So this is good. Very good. This is good. Yeah. The audience doesn't know what we're talking about. But we, well, we know what we're talking about. So it's all good. <laughs> we know what's up. So. Thank you for well, experiencing this I'll with me. I definitely yeah. want to have you back on. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So, absolutely. And um, saw the flyer you sent me. You mentioned yeah. it earlier. Love yeah. Brother Ben X. So yes, it's great. And uh, when I'm in Dallas, I definitely have to take you to lunch or something. And then I'll take you to dinner. Sounds like a plan. well thank you so much and peace and blessings to everybody and i'm really really thankful for the opportunity thank you thankful for you blessing us with your presence so absolutely anytime everyone walk in your purpose and we will see you on the next episode peace peace Hey everyone, this is Dr. Oh My Coffee, and here's my story I am sharing on the Trep Life Podcast. Let's stay connected. Follow me on social media, O-M-A-I-K-O-F-I, and that's Dr. Oh My Coffee on Instagram. I'm so excited, and I want to stay connected with you, and I hope my experiences inspire you, and remember, dreams over doubt, focus over frustration, progress over perfection, solutions over setback. My favorite is prevention instead of intervention. Stay updated by checking out new episodes of the most eclectic podcast in the world on Wednesdays and Sundays streaming on all podcast platforms.